All right, and we are live. Uh, welcome to the Train Like a Ranger podcast. I am very excited to have Sean Patton on the podcast. Uh, Sean is a is a former Green Beret officer, a jiu-jitsu black belt, MMA fighter, entrepreneur, and author. So I'm super excited to have you on, Sean. Thank you for taking the time. Of course, man. I'm excited for this. Uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to pick your brain on all sorts of things. Um, you know, we did some talking before the podcast and and I really want to dive into your your book, uh, what you do as a as a leadership consultant and what you do for businesses and um, and talk about your background. So, you know, before we get into uh, your book and, and all the awesome things you do, uh, can we start with your military roots? Can you kind of talk about your journey to joining the military and what you did in the military? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I didn't come from a military family. I was raised by a, uh, up until junior high, I was raised by a single mom. Um, and as I grew up, my mom is, you know, still one of my heroes and, you know, raised me without any financial help, you know, from my biological father, raised me, worked full time, put herself through undergrad and grad school um, and to get a, a degree to become a school psychologist to help with special needs kids. And uh, then it was a special education administrator later. So I just I say that because that kind of, I think, set in my head that uh, the importance of impact, the importance of giving back to other people and uh, almost self self ish nature of service, right? Like the value you get from serving other and being a part of a bigger purpose and inspiring you to work hard. And so fast forward later, I'm in high school and trying to decide what to do. And I have no plans of going to the military. And then, you know, as time crunch time comes down and maybe also thinking a little differently than most 16 or 17 year olds, but I started learning about the world and I started realizing how, honestly, how messed up it is, right? Like how jacked up it is in so many ways. Um, inside our own borders, but especially outside our borders, right? And uh, there was a specific instance that always comes to mind. Uh, I remember, I think I was 16 and, you know, I'd always rode, rode the bus going to school until I could drive. And uh, it was, there was an Israeli-Palestinian conflict going on, go figure it. And, um, and there's a bomb that went off at a school bus and a bunch of kids died. And I remember reading it and I remember thinking like, not once in my entire life have I gone to the school bus stop worried that an IED was going to go off, yeah. right? Like never in my, my wildest imagination. And so that got me, I basically my whole way, my whole mind works is like a three-year-old still. I just, I'm why, why, why? Right. I was like to dig. So started, started thinking like, well, why, like, why, why are those kids have to worry about that? And I don't. And the more I thought about it, you know, one of the reasons um, was because people f have fought to, for this American experiment and to create um you know, relative safety and stability in a way that most people in the world, as I was re realizing as a, you know, young adult teenager don't have. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people maybe that you, you know, talk to or your audience that is thinking about going to the military probably is maybe a similar story or has similar feelings in terms of, I'm only, a, I'm only empowered with these type of opportunities because somebody that I have never met before and probably died before I was even born sacrificed to create future for a, a future for other generations. And so I felt a obligation to do my part as an able-bodied young, you know, a fit male to ensure that that went forward. And so that's, that was like my initial push of like why I felt the need to go in the military. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's awesome. And, I, and I'm always pumped when these kids come by and they have this sort of vision, this vision that's bigger than themselves. You know, it's, it's super cool to see. Um, that's why I like bringing guys like you on, like even now talking to talking to you and, and what you do now, you always think bigger than, than yourself. And I, I appreciate people like that. So I'm pumped for these guys coming in, um, inquiring about joining the military, these guys doing it. And then, you know, having guys like you talking with guys like you and interacting with guys like you, it's awesome. Um, and, and you did a lot. So like, I kind of want to talk about, you know, uh, yeah. the West Point thing. Um, you went through West Point and, and uh, served with the 101st and then uh, later Special Forces. So can you kind of talk about your journey um, to become an officer and kind of uh, your experiences through, through to SF? Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, when I decided I want to go to the military, 
I, my plan all along was actually to go to wrestle in college. I wrestled growing up. I wrestled in high school. And so I was like, I, I would take like AP classes, for example, because they were interesting, but I never really studied that hard. So like my, I got like bees, you know? So I, um, once I decided to go in and then I also realized, oh man, like what college you go to does kind of matter. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have a lot of money for college. So all these things kind of come together to say, well, how can I go to the best school possible? I know I want to serve and I can't afford school. All right. Well, so you start looking at, well, it sounds like, you know, RTC or, or service academy might be the way to go. I discovered West Point and, um, you know, I would never be able to get into a school like West Point in terms of the, just the academics, you know, it's really an Ivy League education. And, um, but the great thing about a, a service academy like West Point is they're, they're not looking like a Harvard for, you know, the, the genius in his mom's basement that's going to, you know, create the, the next cancer treatment or whatever, you know, they're looking for future leaders of soldiers. So they really have a more whole person concept. So that allowed me to get into West Point. Um, I wrestled it for a couple of years. I mean, amazing experience, definitely not your regular college experience. I didn't, I, I say people, you know, people ask me when I went to college. I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't get to go to college. Uh, it was a little different there than the regular, regular public school, but I learned a ton, man. And I learned how to problem solve. I learned how to prioritize and, and it was a great experience. Um, you know, looking back, I always tell people West Point's a, a great place to be from, maybe not at. Uh, but <laughs> after after I graduated, um, went to the infantry, loved. Uh, I, I originally went in, I was going to be a military intelligence officer and then be a lawyer. That was kind of my plan until I actually got in the woods and started doing army stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, actually, this is pretty cool. If you're going to join, I, I got the rest of my life to sit at a desk. I've got a limited amount of time to actually go do this army thing and this, and really see the, the pure leadership that that applies in those, those military situations. Right. And until you're out, you know, in the field, in the woods and you're running patrols, you don't, you don't really understand what, what that type of like whole person leadership is, I think. And so I saw that side so going infantry. I was blessed. I went to 101st Airborne Division, my first choice. I went to Rock Hassan's third brigade was a great unit. Um, and I was lucky. I got two platoons. So I got a regular platoon and right about the 12 months as a platoon leader uh, is about when you move on, you get one year basically, but we deployed for 14 months to Iraq. So they weren't going to change me out. So I got another six. And then while I was in Iraq and Southwest Baghdad, I got picked to take over the battalion scout and sniper platoon. So I did that for the rest of the deployment, came back to a little longer. Um, then went to special force selection when they tried to put me in a staff job and got that. So then I got to go to Q course and um, got my green beret and happened to uh, get fifth special forces group, which is back at Fort Campbell. So I ended up back at Fort Campbell and uh, took over my team. And, you know, that's, all these jobs, just like those positions, I don't think there's an equivalent almost anywhere in the world in terms of trusting someone with so much responsibility with really so little experience, uh, right? And so it, it was like drinking from a fire hose, but man, I loved it. And I love just having to like catch up with the people around me and pushing me in that way. You know, if you show up and I remember I showed up to my first team, team room, walk up nervous as hell, but I'm a young, you know, night. 28 year old young captain just got my fresh green bread and training for two years and ready to go ranger tab all that stuff and walked in my team room youngest guy on the team <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as the commander right yeah. so i talk about challenges you're looking around like oh shit like oh my god okay so and then you know three days later literally 72 hours later i'm off the coast of uh, coronado in california doing cross training with special boat team 12 and seal team five and taking down ships underway. And it's just crazy. And then we got called back from that train early because Afghanistan was kind of going to the hell. And so six weeks later, I was on the Afghan and Pakistan border for a combat deployment with my team and it just amazing experiences and uh, finished that up. And then was lucky enough, um, got offered to, Hey, if we, we have a hard time finding an officer to pass special forces dive school, cause it's a pretty hard school. So they're like, uh, even though my team time was about up, they said, well, if you, if you can go past dive school, we'll give you a second command. So I went down to dive school, past dive school and, um, got, got to second command as a combat dive team and did deployment to the middle East with them. And so, yeah, got back, did one year of staff time and looked at, I was three weeks away from pin and major and I kind of looked around, uh, at what my next 10 years was going to look like and decided it was time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I uh, I want to ask you something because uh, I know some of the guys who are following who uh, who want to kind of do the same route that you did. They're gonna they're they're really gonna want me to ask this question. But how does that work whenever it comes to like uh, transferring from the hundred first? Whenever you decided, okay, I want to be a Green Beret. How does that process work? Is that something you talk to the commander about and he 
Yeah. And it's different for um, uh, enlisted NCOs versus officers, right? So officers have a very narrow window in our career progression, basically as a first lieutenant, first lieutenant promotable. Um, So pretty much right after you finish your platoon leader time, you're still super young, you know, Um, been in for a year, year and a half, or I mean, I guess training, so maybe two years. But uh, there's a certain timeline you have to put in a special forces packet and get signed off by your chain of command. And when you put in that, you put together the packet, you go to a special forces physical. And if your chain of command supports you, which hopefully they do, uh, then you uh, get, get a selection date and, and go. Uh, officers pretty much just have one shot at it. Like if you don't get it, that's over. You're going to move on to the career course. You're going to stay in the right army. Uh, unless it, uh, folks can usually have a few shots at it. Usually they like to see you um, be at least like a team leader level. Most of them are going to be, at least in combat arms, right? Be that sort of, you know, specialist or corporal team leader through squad leader E6. Um, it's pretty hard once you hit kind of E7, um, just because, you know, they want you when you're, when you're young and, and cocksure, right? So they can break you, uh, push you a bit. So, so when you're in that time range, and then, yeah, you, same thing, you, you get recommended by your chain of command, do some interviews, um, you go down to the special forces recruiting, um, usually company rep, that'll be somewhere on a major post if you're active duty, um, and uh, they'll have the whole packet you put together. Um, usually they'll have a little uh, a physical you have to do. You have to do some some physical fitness tests and some training with them to kind of make sure you're ready. Uh, specifically, not just for you know the PT test, but you know mainly make sure your feet aren't going to break down. So make sure you can ruck run and that sort of thing. Meet some of the minimum standards, and then you go to selection, and then you'll get a uh, if you pass, you'll get a date for the Q course, which is usually somewhere between three to sometimes almost 12 months, uh, depending on what they're looking at, but a few, somewhere within the next year, you'll get to go to the Q course, uh, at Fort Bragg. And that depending on the MOS that you have will be anywhere from 14 months to two years. If you're a medic. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. And, yeah. um, yeah, jumping back to what you said though. Yeah. I always kind of, um, I felt for some of the officers that would come in, you tell like they've had a lot of training, but it's like, they jump in it's like you said, drinking from a fire hose. They're like, okay, you're the, you're the leader lead. And it's just like, man, that's gotta be tough. That's a, that's a lot. It's, it, it's, it's a ton. Um, and you know, some people handle it better than others. Uh, and a lot of it depends on your support, right? I mean, hopefully you walk into a good situation with a good platoon star and good squad leaders, um, that can kind of guide you because if you walk in as a brand new lieutenant and those, those senior folks aren't quality, man, it's a real rough road, but you know, you're capable of doing it, but people kind of ask me, you know, I have this conversation with people ask about the military a lot is, oh, why, right? Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just have a couple? If you think about it as an officer, right? Um, everything in the military is a hierarchy. So it's kind of up or out. And, you know, at the same time at, at the 20 year mark, right? As an officer, say he's 20 to 25, you're a brigade commander, right? Or a one-star general. Uh, so you're assistant division commander. So in 20 years, they have to get you from fresh out of school to ready to command a brigade <laughs> or be writing national strategy and all this stuff, right? As we're 20 years enlisted, first sergeant, you know, like, so you're still at the company level at 20 years, right? So um, now mind you, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's different roles. And so that's why I tell people, right? It's like, it's kind of like at a factory, you know, you come in, maybe you get somebody who's a fresh MBA grad, has some business experience, and maybe they're in charge of, you know, the management of the factory, but they'd be really stupid to walk in and not go to that supervisor who's been, who's worked his way up and has been there for 15, 20 years. That person knows way more than that person, you know, the leader ever will. And I think people get confused that just because you're in command or the platoon there, you know, don't get it twisted in terms of like this, it's a, it's a, it's a command team for a reason. And you know, really as an officer, your job is not the internal function. Your job is the external, right? Your job is to be the umbrella as an officer, as the commander. I always looked outward and my job was to understand the geopolitical situations, the missions that were coming down, what resources were available to us, what's going to come up next. Um, And that way I could sit down with, you know, the senior NCOs, your counterparts and because they know what the guys are doing. They know what the past problems have been. And then, then, you know, it's like a perfect marriage, right? You got to have, you got to have mom and dad. in, in a sense, you got to have two people um, and you split duties and responsibilities. And so, 
you know, especially in garrison, you know, it's just, Hey, this is what's coming down. What do you think? Where are we going to head? And unless it's crazy, whatever they say, this is what this is how we should prep for it. That's what they do. And you just say, get to work. And your best thing you can do is keep all the BS, right? Play that umbrella and all the BS that's raining down on top of the, the unit. Your job is to block as much of that as possible and make it so the guys can do the work, do the training and prepare themselves. Um, and now when you deploy that flips a bit. So as an officer, you really are dealing external and then you should just be a planning and tactical machine. You know, like I was a sniper platoon leader, never went to sniper school. I can, I can barely, I mean, I can shoot a sniper rifle. I couldn't, I'd be the worst, you know, spotter in the planet, but I don't need to, I don't need to know that, but I need to know what are the capabilities? What can you do? Listen to your guys. And then I can implement that because I see the bigger picture and that allows my sniper to focus on being the best sniper he can be in mixing execution. He shouldn't have to be worrying about, you know, the economic and political implications of us operating through this village. Like should, that, that's my job, right? If we screw that up, that's the officer's job. So it's one of those things that people say, yeah, you're in command. And ultimately, you know, legally your names as a commander is on the dotted line, but it really is a team. And as officers, young officers, if they go into it, understanding everyone's an individual contributor, figure out what, your role is and as an individual contributor and just play your role as best you can and uh you know set set the example in all that you do and you're going to be good to go yeah that's great it is yeah it's a lot of responsibility like i could speak for the for the ranger officer side like um they're expected to like put their stamp on everything that's happening and there's so many different moving pieces like they have a have an understanding of a lot of it but to yeah it's it's like how much can you focus on every single little thing? It would take, it would take years and years, right? It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's tough. It's a tough job. You know, like, uh, my job, a lot of it was, uh, the officer, I had a good officer. He would always kind of lean on me. And it was, uh, it was always like, it was a cool interaction. Like he knew his stuff, but he knew how to use people as well. And I think that's a great description of the military that it's mm -hmm. all just a big machine and everybody's got their part to play. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's interesting because kind of as a segue a bit, like now in the business world, um, it really is the same, the same thing in the same way to function. You see sort of the same things that go well and you see a lot of the th same mistakes, right? Where you have a leader that comes in that tries to get down and I need to know everything that's going on. And then no one's actually looking out, right? And then the, the bus runs into the wall because no one's actually looking out. Everyone's worried about what's going inside the bus. And, and so the also interesting thing, I'm, I'm really grateful for having been in the conventional army, you know, big army and special operations, especially special forces where it's a smaller team. Um, you know, it's 12 per people. It's not a SEAL platoon or a Ranger platoon. And you're not just all unilateral too, which that changes. That's a whole different dynamic, right? That's a whole different level of instability when you've got 12 Americans and 200 indigenous versus <laughs> Yeah, you know, 120 right. Rangers or, you know, a 40 man SEAL platoon, you know, everybody by name and right. everyone's speaking the same language. And I'm really grateful for both experiences because what I found is that the same sort of problems, mechanisms, and also uh, keys to success, right? With big army and in, in special forces translate almost exactly to corporate America and big business and entrepreneurship. Yeah, and because special forces is entrepreneurship in the military. I right? just do more with less. You know, you're, you're, you've got a small group, but they're all highly motivated or intelligent. You know, intelligent. They're like driven. They're crushed. Everybody's doing. Everybody's got four jobs, right? And you just have to sort of be like, all right, we got eighty percent information. Let's just step off and figure it out. And that's sort of entrepreneurial land. But then the big army, right, is more in the conventional military is a lot more like corporate America where you have a lot of checks and balances. Everyone's job is very more, much more well-defined and you bring to bear these bigger resources. It's also, you know, it's a big shift that if you get all those things right and you get ahead in the right direction, it's nearly unstoppable. Right. But if you have to shift, if you get something wrong and you have to turn the, the ship, it doesn't turn as fast. Um, right. And so those two experiences have really helped me in the business world and relate and see some commonalities out in the private sector as well. Yeah. I like that. I like that comparison. I, you know, I like, I didn't, uh, I went to Ranger battalion, like straight from the, from the bat, but, uh, that's how I would describe the army as well as kind of like a, a corporation. And, mm -hmm. um, I do notice, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, special forces guys that make for great entrepreneurs. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to talk more, uh, cause you talk, you talked about a note that you loved 
leadership and problem solving in the military. That was like your greatest takeaway. And you use it now in your, your book and what you do now. So I wanted to ask the question, uh, what is the biggest differences between military leadership and civilian leadership? Yeah, really good question. So there's a few. One, and one of the biggest ones that people don't think about is despite the fact that when, right, the new private shows up, you're like, you don't know anything, you're in charge, sit down, shut up, pull security. Um, and you think that this person isn't capable of anything, they're brand new, you're green as hell. But they've, you know, even in the right, you know, you're not even Ranger Battalion, much less Ranger Battalion, but like your regular infantry soldier has been, what, 18 months of training at least, yeah. you know, before they even show up. They've had 18 months of specific training just to be like, right time, right uniform, don't lose your gun, you know, and yeah. don't get in trouble. Like that's all they're in charge of. Sure. They had 18 months to get them to that point. Well, in the civilian world, no such thing, right? And so I, what I try to tell uh, military, when I, I meet with some military guys here, they just got out, or they're thinking about getting out, they're moving to a new leadership role or whatever. I'm like, one of the biggest things you have to understand is imagine, imagine being in Ranger Battalion and somebody goes to the recruiting station, they sign up, they get an 18, or sorry, an 18 x-ray, but um, a, a, they get a, a RIP contract, or they call it now, right? They get a Ranger Battalion contract. And then cool, they go pass a PT test and they show up. Now that's your private from zero, because yeah. that's what the civilian world is like, right? You're very rarely going to get someone, especially in these entry-level positions, like you're starting from scratch, you know, that you have them as a person, but maybe they went through, you know, a couple of weeks of onboarding with your company to learn company culture and systems. But in the military, we actually do a very good job of preparing people for the next role. And, and we train a lot more for our jobs, right? And, and because there's this profit motive in, in business, it's like, it's like if the military got paid, like say we, your unit got paid, but only everybody got paid more for every successful mission you had, right? We wouldn't do any training, right? Just be doing hit after hit after hit. Cause it's like, Hey, Hey, every, every raid we do, everybody gets 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, guess what we're doing guys go over to season. We're just raid. And, right. and, and that would be great and dandy until, you know, three months later, everyone's broken. And that's what I see with leaders a lot in the, in the civilian side is um, outside of the, the training, but sort of the second component is, it takes a, so it takes a real mature leader to see the big picture to slow down and have them do train your people spend time right that's not that you're you're investing for the long term but so many businesses because it doesn't impact the bottom line immediately right it's like i want my sellers just to sell well it's like okay but how are you going to how are they going to be ready to be a manager if you never trained them on any leadership before you made them a manager, how are they going to get better at their job? Right. I mean, we all get better just doing it, but not in the same way you step, you slow down and, and train them for the next role. Right. Right. And so that's another huge difference is that you see a lot more, you know, you think that you get some, you know, brand new Lieutenant or a brand new captain or even a brand new squad leader who's, and you're just like this guy, you know, doesn't know anything. He's, infinitely more trained than most civilians are for the new job they just took Yep. because they probably got little to no training for their own, their past job, much less to prepare them for the next one. So those are really, those are really big things. Um, and then the other one is, I'd say the third major component there is culture. So in the military, by default, everyone is very much mission first. Right. Like it's, you know, uh, you know, you, something as simple as right. You're, you're cleaning up after exercise and then you say, all right, you're in charge of cleaning up here. You're clean that you clean that what happens when this group gets done first, they go help all the other groups. Right. Cause everyone, no one's done until everyone's done, but you'll see that is not the case in the civilian world. No. These people, these people get their, their, you know, sites done and they just sit down. Like I did my part I'm just gonna <laughs> sit here, watch you, watch you work, dude. It's not, I did my job. And so it's a selfish nature um, and this individualistic nature that comes from how does it benefit me? Exactly. And so you have to think through incentive alignment. That was one of the biggest missteps for my first company was, you know, I, I was used to salary, right? And I, I still do honestly hate hourly work for most jobs. Um, 
because you're not, people aren't widgets, right? You're like, you're not a machine that I can say, okay, you're going to run, you're going to do 30 parts every hour. And then that's what your job is 30 parts an hour off. It's like one person's four hours can be way different than another person's four hours, right? There's some people who get done in four hours, what somebody else takes a week to do. Right. So why would I change what I paid? I, I want to pay on outcome, right? And I also want to, my idea was, hey, if you take care of people and they're not dying, you're not so stressed about finances that they'll buy in and then they'll give back to you and they'll work hard. And that can work in certain roles, but it does not work for entry-level jobs, unfortunately. It's just not the culture. Um, you know, you have to, you have to create uh, and, and incentivize people financially and in other ways to motivate them to be before you can have enough time to indoctrinate them into the bigger mission and values of the company. The senior folks, if you do things well, will be like that because they've been there long enough. You've built up trust. They understand the mission. They, they feel, they feel, they feel some ownership in what you're doing, but don't, don't leave the military and come over and take over like a manager role at a store and think you're everyone there is going to act like your soldiers in terms of embracing mission success or failure because most of them won't give a shit you know no they yeah they don't care it, it, i i always say that the people that i thought was the worst in the military the the guy that you know we would look at and we'd go like man this guy doesn't pull any weight he would be a dream come true uh out here because it's yeah, like in most jobs you know yeah that just the the basic discipline showing up on time doing what you're supposed to do or, or some sort of resemblance of what you're supposed to do. You know, in a lot of cases in the civilian world, like you said, it has to be incentive based. There has to be a reason. Okay. What does this benefit me? Why would I do this? Is this in my job mm -hmm. description? You know, what's the incentive to do it? I think that's a, yeah, that's a perfect um, highlight because it's so true. It's so hard to, it takes a lot of leadership and a lot of incentivizing to motivate um, in the civilian world. It's way different. It is. It is. And so that's why that's, and, and you know, man, I'll tell you what, you're killing the segues right now because that <laughs> is exactly, um, you know, why I wrote this book. It's exactly what I do, what I do. And, you know, when I first started doing the consulting stuff, like you said, leadership problem song has always been my favorite thing. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. But as I first started it, what I found, what I, what I worry was like, you know, most of the other consultants and stuff out there, it's all like, specific, right? It's like, oh, I do marketing. I do social media. I do copywriting. I do sales training. I do, you know, logistics or IT or cyber, you know, it's like very niche in a certain business function. And I was like, man, who's going to, who's going to pay for leadership? You know, it's like, it's hard to measure. What's the ROI? Like what's, you know, what's the return on investment? Sorry, I'm trying to use business jargon. Um, but to get someone to give you money to do something that seems like a soft skill as they call it, right? And then, so then I started, I wouldn't even mark, I, would, I used to not even market myself as a leadership coach or mindset coach, just say I'm a business consultant, right? And then I just, and then I, cause I can do some marketing. I got a master's degree in business and I've run my own companies for a few years. So I can do that. Um, and the more I got into it, the more I realized I'm like, and, and every time I would, I would insert some leadership stuff into the training. And every time I got to leadership stuff, people's eyes perked up and I got head nods and they were engaged. Like that was exactly what we needed. And the more I got and started working with more companies, I'm like, Oh, leadership is the number one thing these companies want and need. Even the ones that don't think they need it, it is 100%. And that's the reason I just, it, this sort of uh, premonition I had that how important leadership was because I saw it in the military and I saw how important it was. Right. Cause we all, we've all seen a unit with bad leaders, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, everyone's in shape and they're great shooters, but bad leaders, you're, you're screwed. You know, yeah. I'll take, I'll take B shooters with a leaders over a shooters with B leaders into any mission, yeah. right? Anyone would, and business is no different. And the more I got into it, I more, I saw that. And so leadership is the most dynamic and powerful force in the planet and in business and in military, anything involving human beings, because it's literally the glue that gets everything done. It gets everything pointed in the right direction. It, motivates inspires and trains people it gets them bought in and if you do it the right way like everything that has ever really changed the world that human beings have done for good and bad has been due to leadership like quality leadership right even if they took people the wrong way with something they're at least a leader you know napoleon wasn't maybe the the most altruistic great guy maybe he'd do awesome stuff but he changed the landscape of the world 
you know, through leadership. And you can do the great, the same thing for greatness too, right? You can do the same thing for positive change. And so it really is the number one thing. And the more that, and, and, and companies are seeing that more than ever right now with the great resignation and people leaving jobs, because the reality is people have more options now. The, late, the, the, the power dynamic in the labor market has changed. No, it's no longer like, oh, thank you, sir. Give me that job, sir. Oh, you know, just grateful, grovel just to have a job. People are like, dude, I can go make two grand a month on my phone. <laughs> I, I can drink two grand a month driving Uber, like, and do whatever I want. What do you, you better come better than that, right. right? Or I can go do this job on my own. I can start my own company with a, with a website and, and some knowledge and services. I can do this. I don't need you. And companies are failing to adapt to embrace this. At least the ones that are, are suffering, right? If you look at just this last, the pandemic shut, shutdowns, right? You had some companies who, you know, oh, well, we got to fire the staff right? We fire at, we fire all the workers. We close up shop, Ooh, the scarcity mindset, right? This, and I, I would call it cowardly mindset, right? Let the, you let the accountants run the business or something. And all of a sudden, and then what happens? Oh, it changes. Oh, people want to travel now. Oh, well, we, we don't have enough people. Oh, we can't rehire. Oh, they want more money now. Oh, right. And then you have other companies that guess what they did. They cut corp, they cut executive pay. They didn't pay people full, fully, but they maybe put them on furlough, kept their benefits and paid them, you know, 60% of their wages. Just like, hey, we appreciate you. We don't have work right now. We have to do this as a team to cut savings. And then guess what? The companies that did that and had pure leadership took care of their people first, people before profit. As soon as the market shifted, boom, they turned it on and they were ready to go and they're way ahead of their competition. Yeah. And so it's, it, it all comes down to the, the companies and the in the 21st century, the next 20 years are going to be dominated by companies who embrace people and leadership and giving people flexibility and take and treating them as whole person. And if you get a leader that leads people as a whole person, the way we do in the military, right? We don't say, hey, look, dude, I'm only in charge of you when you're here in formation and when you're on the range and we're on mission. Besides that, I could give a crap, right? No NCO would ever say that because they are a whole person leader and people in the business world need to start embracing it. The ones that do, and they actually practice good servant leadership principles. This, this whole pandemic has been a blessing to them yeah. because the market shift that was happening already just accelerated 10 times and they're going to capitalize it. And the people that are still, you know, pushing numbers and uh, have this scarcity mindset and they're treating people like managers. And you're like, you know, I pay you, you do what you do what I say they're, they're going to suffer. They're, they're like, why can't I find anyone to work for me? Cause you're an asshole. That's why, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, ultimately, right. I yeah. had, I had one, you know, when I was doing counterinsurgency, man, I read all the manuals, David Petraeus, stuff just came out. I was ready to go. And then I started doing it. And I'm like, and I, I, this is our motto. When my scalp platoon, we were doing, you know, counterinsurgency stuff. I was like, literally counterinsurgency is just don't be an asshole. Like that's literally all it is. It's just like treat people well, take care of them, ask them questions. Hey, what do you need right now? Well, I'm not safe. I don't feel safe because this, okay, let's fix that. I, I have no food. Okay. What can we do to help get your market back up? You know, like just don't be an a-hole. It's like, like just treat people with respect and don't walk around and stomp all over their stuff and thinking you're badder because you know, you're white and from America. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're not shooting at us anymore. Oh, all of a sudden they're starting to call in and tell us what happened when these, when the bad guys come to town. Right. And so it, it's, it's, you know, that was literally our motto. It was like, just don't be an a-hole. And, yeah. and, and in business, people are starting to see that too. The selfish, the selfish leaders that are putting profit before people are going to go the way of the dodo bird. Yeah. Yeah. People are adaptive, right? It's like, uh, they're going to figure out a way to get taken care of. And, uh, yeah, I think putting the, putting the people first, that's awesome. I love, I love that you said that. Um, so you know, you started, uh, you started some businesses after the military and you talked about why you started them. Um, so you started two gyms, uh, speaking of your, your martial arts backgrounds, you started the, uh, two gyms and, and you did it. Uh, I thought this was interesting. You did it just to initially just to learn how to be like, how to be a leader in the civilian world. Right. Can you talk more on that? Yeah. So you know, coming out of the military, I knew that I wanted to do this um, and leadership problem solving was my passion. So I wanted to do, but I wanted to coach business leaders. So I thought, well, I need to learn, should probably understand business pretty well if I'm going to coach business leaders. So what are the sort of, what do I need to do to be able to feel qualified to do that? And it came with a, you know, two, two lines of effort. 
One was get a graduate degree in business. So I went and got my MBA from UNC Chapel, excuse me, Chapel Hill. Sorry, I drink coffee right now. Um, <laughs> UNC too. Chapel Hill. Yeah, I know. it's been a long day. Um, yeah. So I uh, got my MBA and then I thought, well, you know, what's the fastest way to learn as many lessons of business as possible? Uh, start your own company, get it self-sustainingly profitable. I mean, if you can do that, I figured, man, I'll have learned all. I mean, you got to spend 30 years in the corporate world to learn all the lessons you do as a, as an entrepreneur or business owner. Right. And to do all the functions. And so I did that and I, I bought a, a gym franchise, a sort of martial arts fitness hybrid and, uh, thinking that was a, a good plan, right? You think you're going to get a franchise and they're going to have a proven business model and all you do is run the play and learn. And I thought, perfect. Um, turned out not to be the case for a lot of reasons. And I, I mean, I made a few early mistakes. I signed the lease deal that was way too much that I couldn't get out of. And the projections that were given to me were not accurate on a national scale and all these other things. So right. when I struggled for three years and I mean, I had a uh, so, you know, you're in the fitness industry. I mean, I had a business, I had a gym with over 400 members doing 47 K a month, still losing money. Like that's wow. crazy, right? That shouldn't happen. Right. Um, so, uh, and debt kept piling up. I had kept having to take on more debt, more debt, get behind in taxes. And finally, you know, it, the stress literally almost killed me. I had stress hives. Um, I had two panic attacks for the first time in my life. I never had panic at 30 months deployed, 22 months in combat. I never had a panic attack. I had two, um, I had a, uh, my appendix almost ruptured. I do an emergency surgery um, that went wrong with the VA. And so then I turned, I had internal bleeding that got infected. I turned septic, like I almost died. Like it was rough um, going, but I learned so many tough lessons and I learned a lot about myself. I got humbled a little bit. And um, so when I closed that, I also said, well, I don't really love the fitness side of it as much as I do the martial arts side and, and jujitsu. So got a couple of new partners. We started uh, Legion Jiu-Jitsu because fifth special forces groups name is their like nicknames, the Legion. Oh, cool. So we have Legion yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. So we have Legion Jiu-Jitsu now we started with two locations and now we just opened our fourth location this year. We're killing it. And I've got people, you know, general managers, each location operations in place, SOPs. And um, so, you know, mission accomplished. I did my two prongs, two lines of effort took me longer than I thought it would Took about five years, but I got them both done and uh, launch stronger, leader, stronger profits to really, and I feel confident now, right? I can, I, that's why I coach, you know, individuals. I have a small group called Stronger Leader Society and I coach individual entrepreneurs and business owners and individual corporate leaders that they want. We focus on mindset, sales, public speaking, and, and um, uh, sorry, speaking and sales, I say public speaking, sales, mindset, mindset, public speaking, sales, leadership, sorry, leadership. And so we focus on those things um, and I can, I, I, you know, I don't know everything about small business, obviously, but the basics, I, I understand all those components. And so I can help people. And I've been there. I've had, I've run in, I've been there when the business is losing money. I've been there when the business is, you know, uh, started money I've opened and closed, you know, at between moving new locations and opening new locations of multiple businesses, I've opened six or seven gyms in the last six years. So like I've gone through the opening process, the pre-sale, like, and so I understand all those things um, and I'm able to do that. And then with, the, you know, for the corporate side, I really focus on that leadership and organ organizational leadership through workshops and stuff. And that whole experience of, of the ups and downs from the military, the ups and downs from business have put me in a, a position where I'm confident having a peer conversation with a fortune 500 CEO. And I'm confident having a conversation with somebody who's just got a business plan written on a notebook and wants to know what the next step is. Yeah, that's such valuable information. You know, it's like, uh, I, I've been a sponge this whole time, by the way. I've been like agreeing with your stuff. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I like that you pointed that out. I'm a, absolutely a sponge right now because, um, you know, I can I can relate to this business. Like I started this as a way to, uh, as a way to kind of break free. I was, I was, you know, going to school full time. I was working two jobs and I was just like, I was getting ran ragged. I can kind of jump back. That stress is a killer, by the way. Like I can relate in my own sense. I won't get down the rabbit hole because it's not about me, this podcast, but I can relate to um, stress causing, you know, health issues and things like that. Like it's, it's uh, no joke. So I started this uh, as a way to break free. I've messed it up a lot, but I've learned a lot too. Like I was telling you, you know, in our previous conversation, if I started another business, I feel like it would be a hundred times more smooth. And what's really been mm -hmm. cool is picking guys brains like there's been guys like you and who have come out and helped me to no benefit of their own they'll just 
tell me things and they'll be like, Hey, you should do this. You should consider doing this. Mm. Um, it's, it's very helpful. So like workshops like that, like, absolutely. I would go to a workshop in a heartbeat. I would pay for a workshop. Mm. You know, it's, it's so worth the time to pick the brains of guys who have been there, done that. You really have to, my business really took off. Um, when I joined a small group, like the one I run. And then I told, I told the coach at the time, I was like, just so you know, like as soon as I can afford it, I'm hiring you one-on-one. He's like, done. He's like, I'll give you a discounted rate. I'm like, cool. And it's sure enough, as soon as I signed, I basically signed my first big contract. Um, uh, one of my, one of my corporate clients is Bridgestone Tires, you know, major company and my fourth contract with them. And that was my the first time I signed the first one. I called on and said, Hey John, I'm like, uh, it's time, bro. I, 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 you know, I've got a few grand in my account. Let's roll and um, hired him. And, and you do, you need that because, you know, think about if you're at a regular job, like, what do you do? You know, you go to your boss, like, Hey, Hey boss, I'm not really sure about, you know, your supervisor, I'm not really sure about what the next step is. What, I sh- what am I doing? Well, what am I not doing? Well, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is that a good idea? And he could say, yes, no, maybe. Yeah. You know, like that. And they can give you direction. They can, you know, your supervisor, your boss, whoever your leaders, like, Hey, just so you know, next year, I want you to be thinking about this. Hey, we're going to head this way. Right. But if you're on your own, you're just wandering into the, to nothingness. And, you know, one of my business coaches favorite phrases, and it sticks with me, I say all the time is your business will never outgrow you. It's never going to happen. So you have to constantly grow, right. Or your business is going to stagnate because your skill set has to continually get better. And you almost bring in this full circle we talked about before, right. Is you have to take, you have to make time for personal development. And you have to invest in yourself. What, what better thing to invest in than your own capabilities? And, and uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, in my book. I talk about like uh, the urgent important matrix or the Eisenhower matrix. For those who may or may not be familiar with it, it's Dwight D. Eisenhower's matrix. matrix. Um, they call it the urgent important matrix in seven habits of highly effective people. So some people call it that, but they divide all activities uh, into four quadrants based on thing, things being urgent and important. And quadrant two in that is things that are not urgent, but important. And you should be living 70% of your life and energy should be on those activities. So those are the things that are driving you to your goals. Those are the things that are driving you to success of your business. Those are things about, those are, that's your health. That's your recovery. That's investment in, in, in you and your family and your relationships and your business and development. That's where you should be spending the majority of your time. Um, and what happens is if you, procrastinate or you don't put those things forward, then what's going to happen is your business is going to grow to a point where you are the limiting factor. You can't handle it. And hopefully then that pushes it to quadrant one. Now it's urgent and important. And, and then you're under time constraints. So you're, the training you're going to get isn't going to be as good. You're not going to be able to invest as much stuff in it. You're going to be doing it under stress under all that. Like, right. So if it's that important, if it's important to your success for you achieving your goals, then you need to prioritize that ahead of everything else. Um, and one of those things that is personal development and training, you've got to invest in yourself. And if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader, you need help, you know, there, there's not a single, there's not a single, uh, you know, there's no, no one went through their whole life just shooting, shooting basketball hoops in their, in their driveway and then got in the NBA. Yeah. You know, like they've all had coaches, mentors, you know, I've no, uh, one, one guy, um, from New York and he's a high level consultant in the, in the finance sector and other places. He has five coaches, five coaches. He's got, he's got three business coaches. He does like ultra marathons. He's got a running coach. He's got a strength and conditioning coach. He's got a mindset coach. And he's got like a, you know, like, I think like a, he's got two other coaches that are in business. One's like marketing. He's got five coaches and he's killing it. Like, so to say that you don't have money to invest in it to, cause you have money to do what? Like, you know, like, I don't know. I, to, to do another vacation, to buy a nicer car, but you don't have, you know, a thousand dollars to go do a, a workshop or go to a convention. I mean, I tried to do personal development and, um, and, and go and surround myself with like-minded entrepreneurs. It really does give you energy and feeds off those other people. And you learn so much and you just, there's only so much you can do sitting in your, your home office with YouTube, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so validating. You know, I, I, I was telling, uh, I was telling my buddy, Tony, which helps me, he helps me run this thing. You know, I was telling him, sometimes I'll take executive time to like research things and, and things like that. And I call it executive time. Cause I'm like, I can only give 
what I build from myself. Like I can only give what I've developed in myself. So it's validating to hear you say that. Um, yeah, I call it my executive time. Yeah, you got to have it, man. It's, it's important. You know, I have a, in my book too, I talk about uh, different strategies for time and time management. It's one of the most important things I think we teach. And, um, and so for me, my mind's time's the, the morning. So, and not just for pro- professional development, but I don't do, unless it's an emergency, it's the only time I need to do something. I don't even have like in my availability for even like initial strategy calls for sales calls, anything before 1 p.m. Like, not, I try to have two to three hours, five days a week that is for me to work on my business. Um, and that's a game changer because if you're a business owner and you don't put that time in or hardwired in, you're done, right? It's just like, it's just like, uh, you know, fitness and health. Like if you, if you're just like, well, yeah, I'll, I'm going to work out a few days this week whenever I get a chance, it's never happening, right? That's never right. happening. You have to put that time in your calendar and that's, that's your executive time. That's your health time because ultimately, otherwise you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to get sick, um, you know, and you're going to have all those other things happen to you and then you're worthless to everybody. So, you know, listen, there's, there's times to be like, Hey, for the next few weeks, it's it's go, it's grind time. Right. And that's fine, but it should be, you should be intentional with understanding that you're putting yourself in an unsustainable pace for an acute amount of time and then plug in recovery afterward. Right. You have to do that. You have to treat yourself professionally, your, your whole body as just like you would an athlete, right? You're going to have a ramp up time. You're going to commit to it. And then afterward, you need to have recovery time, you know? And I tell you all the time that, you know, your energy expenditure is if you think about like a sine wave, right. Not to get too nerdy on you, right. Sine wave up and down, but you know, some people are just going through their life right here. You know, they're, 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 they're not working that hard. They're sitting in their cubicle maybe they work out, you know, a couple of times a week, do whatever they sleep a little bit. They watch Netflix at night and like, they're fine doing that. Right. But if you're like going, you know, if you're pushing yourself mentally, physically, and you're driving, you're doing sales calls, and you're building a company, and all that stuff, you're what you're up or your sideways up here. You need to make sure it's balanced at some point yeah. or the, or your, your body's going to force you to do that. And you're going to, and so, you know, I'm, I'm that way. I would rather go, go, go even, you know, maybe take a, we try to take Sundays off my wife and I to have you know time with each other and, and some downtime and I'll do so I'll do social media breaks. I'll leave my phone upstairs for the whole day. Yeah. I won't even look at it. And I feel so much better, you know, but, or I'll hell we'll go, I'll work hard for three weeks, travel and stuff. I'm like, guess what? You know, Hey, we're going to go party for the, you know, we're going to go to Vegas and rage for a few days, you know, like sometimes you need to go let loose. Like, you know, so however hard you're working, you need to have that recovery time on the downside, you know? Yep. Absolutely. It's like, that's been the biggest um, learning point for me with, with this thing is when it, when it comes to running your own business, you could, there's endless amounts of work you can do. There's no, there's no ceiling. You can work forever. And that was uh that was an issue I had starting out, especially when I was trying to build the bones and everything. You can always keep refining stuff. You can always keep adding. And I would just work. There was, there was weeks where I would literally work from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep, I would work on this thing for like weeks on end. And it's like, yeah, it starts to get to you, especially when you're dealing with the internet and things. Um, sometimes I put out weird stuff. Sometimes the energy was in the wrong places. And uh, what I've kind of learned uh, through my own point, and I kind of want to pick your pick your brain on this, is uh, the importance of focusing on result-driven uh, efforts. So like, if I'm going to put time into this, make sure it's going to get one, results, positive results, and Two, knowing when the cutoff is, being able to, like you said, put your phone. I turn my phone off now, and uh, mm-hmm. the world's so connected now. It's kind of hard. Like the uh, the pace and expectation in which everybody wants to communicate. Like you almost have to. You have to turn that thing off and just set an expectation of you're not going to hear from me because yeah, it's tough. No, you you have to. And um, you know, there a few of the major things people can do is uh, you should you know like on my phone I have all notifications except for. Uh, turned off except for text message, text messages um, from my wife, my mom, my business partner. Nice. Like, okay. O- other than that, like, I don't, I mean, especially you're talking about like Facebook and Twitter and like news, those are the, all those things need to be turned off. Like you don't need to know any of that stuff. I'm not saying you don't have time to go do that or have fun, but do it with intention. Do set time for that, you know, be like, you know what, I'm going to sit down and turn on a TV show. I'm not going to pay attention to I'm going to 
watch, whatever, watch reels for an hour or, you know, I'm going to do whatever, but do it with intention. And you'll find when you actually do that, when you have the self-discipline to do that, it makes everything better because you can be present. It makes your work better because you're not distracted. You have a plan for work. You know, you're doing important things. You know, you're accomplishing your goals and making progress. And guess what? So now you, you're intentional with your rest time. So now you're not sitting down with your you know, partner or with your kids and only half there because half your mind's thinking about something at work, right? So self-discipline is really about, to me, the, this, the, even in my book, A Warrior's Mindset, right? Or the keys of greatness and in there with a fourth key is self-discipline and uh, self-discipline, people think of it as like a, like a hard, oh, I just be self, no. Self-discipline comes from a uh, reverence and a love and a respect for life. Like when I see someone that's not, they're not, they're doing a million things or not, they're frustrated, but like you are wasting the gift of freedom and life right now. Like that's what you're doing, yeah. right? And, but when you are self-disciplined your time and you're directed, it's a respect because now I'm giving my business the respect and the time and the focus it deserves. And I, I can enjoy it. Because guess what? I know that I've got scheduled time with my kids tonight, or I've got scheduled time with my spouse, or I got time to go out with my friends, or I'm going to go to the beach in two weeks, or I'm going to do whatever. And so I can do this hundred percent and not be like, Oh, half here, half like, Oh God, I'm burning. Let me watch YouTube for a minute. Right. <laughs> and then, and then when I'm at the gym, I can do the same thing. I don't have to do business on my phone. Screw that. Like, it's not that important, you know? Right. And, and everyone knows that. And sometimes people say, well, Hey, you know, I texted you, you know, at eight last night. I'm like, I don't do business that late, man. Like, like, I'm sorry, like, I, I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm not going to text you back. And, and once you set the expectation and people are like, well, why? Be like, cause that's my time for my wife. Like that's not my, that's not time for you. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, you yeah. try it. <laughs> like, you know? And so it really, for me, this whole thing, like this, what drives me every day is a, a, a mindset and a lens of gratitude for all that we have and an inherent moral obligation to do the most with this life we're given because, and you and I know better than, you know, 99% of the people in this country, that freedom isn't free. And we all have friends that are in the ground right now. And so how dare you waste your life? How dare you waste your time? How dare you have a pity party? How dare you not be disciplined and accomplished and try to change the world and do more for others? Because that's what every single one of those people were going to do. And now all of us that are left behind have a, our, our time and our life is not ours anymore. It's theirs. And so we have to do a little slice of what each one of those people would have done to improve the world around us. Now that's our obligation. So you have to do more than you're not, again, it comes back, not, it's not even about selfish, man. If you live for just your own selfish gratification, you are going to be a miserable, lonely person. And again, that's disrespectful to life because you deserve life, the gift of life in this time, in this moment, in this country is so precious that it should fill you with this just excitement and joy because you can do anything you want. Yeah. Right. And if you don't feel that way, it's your own fault yeah. because probably you lack self-discipline, you lack direction, you lack, like you're lacking these things. You need to work on yourself. It's not the outside world. The world is awesome. You're freer with more power than almost any, than any time in human history. And if, and it's on you to, it's all in your head. And so you have to fix and get that, that mind razor sharp and, and you're doing it, not just for yourself. You're doing it for all the people that can't do that um, right now for one reason or another. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's a great point. You know um, there's so many opportunities. If you just, if you just get up and, and do it. And two, like you said, um, I'm at the point in my life where uh, I want to work to live, not live to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, you, I like, I like what I'm doing because I can put in the energy and, and bursts, right? I if I, since I've started organizing my time better, the product has actually been way better than when I was trying to work all the time. I come in, I knock some things out and then I, I go get that executive time. Right. And then also clumped in the executive time is my off time, my recovery time, my time with my wife. And, um, it's my time to recover and build myself so that I can come back and contribute to others. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Life's life's uh, life's too short to um, to take it for granted, and you know, like you said, have a pity party. Uh, I call it the victims mentality, where mm -hmm. it's like the victims are the, usually victimizers, right? Like, you know, 
be positive for yourself so that you can be positive to other people because you you viewing yourself as a valuable asset is going to be a positive impact on the world. So, um, yeah. And so I, so, um, in the, in the book, the second key to greatness is an internal locus of control. And so it's a uh, psychological concept, right? So exactly what you're talking about people with an external locus of control have that victim mentality, right? The world, we all know these people, the world happens to them, right? I'm so unlucky. Oh, this always happens to me. And even when something positive happens, you'll catch them in their language. They'll be like, Oh, you got this promotion. Well, yeah, you know, it was my time, you know, like, you know, it's like they, they won't can be, and because how much more comfortable is it to just be like, well, it's not on me. It's just the world happens. I'm just here. Like how convenient, like to just shirk the responsibility of free will off on the world. And how cowardly is that? Like that victim mentality, it, it comes from a cowardice, right? It comes from insecurity. It comes from low self-esteem. Um, it, it comes from weakness, not wanting to bear the responsibility that, no, whatever happens in your life is your responsibility. And yeah, unknown things are, bad things are going to happen. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Oh, you had, you know, we have, we've all had, you know, friends, close friends that we've lost um, military or maybe outside that to, you know, COVID or to cancers or whatever. And okay, that happened. What are you going to do about it? Like, that's what matters because bad and good things are going to happen. Every good and bad things happen to every, every person, but the, a person with a strong interlocus control accepts responsibility and says, you know what? We lost those people. I lost this friend. I I'm going to mourn him or her. And then I'm going, I'm going, I'm living for them now. Like I'm going to honor them by accomplishing these things and making this impact. Right. And that's when a person with internal locus control, a person with external locus control is like, oh, everyone's lost, or it doesn't matter, blah, blah. And if you just shirk that off on the world, again, what a slap in the face to the people who couldn't be here anymore, you know? So it really, an internal locus of control is a critical component in owning your results, owning your mentality, right? The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. Those are all just... Those are all just electrical impulses in your head. The only thing that is real is right now. And so people confuse fault and responsibility. So it's not your fault. If you grew up in an abusive household, that's not your fault. If you grew up and went to a crappy school, not your fault. If you had some bad things happen to you, if you got in a car wreck, if you got injured, if you got whatever, no, I'm not, no one's saying those are your fault. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Fault is about the past though. And responsibility about the present. All those things happened. What are you going to do about it right now? Are you going to go get help? Are you going to ask for counseling? Are you going to go see a therapist? Are you going to go to the gym still? Are you going to make some goals for next year? Are you going to go change your circumstances? Right? Because that's 100% your responsibility and nobody else's. And so don't, don't you dare shirk off the inherent responsibility of freedom. Like don't, don't you dare do that. And too many people have that mindset. A lot, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people. And it, and to change your mindset, you know, there's something that I used to do where if I would think one negative thought, which is pretty easy to do, right? It's pretty easy. Like if you let it, it's pretty easy to feel sorry for yourself, have a negative thought. So if I, if I felt that creeping in, I talk about positive stuff, talk a lot, feel a negative thought creeping in, I would deliberately, I would stop that train of thought and tell myself two positive thoughts. I don't know if you have any tricks like that, that, that you do, but that was something yeah, that no, I that's a great one. No, that's a great one. You know, and I've got, a, I've got in the book, a bunch of different uh, ways to work on internal control, sphere of, sphere of control, um, mindfulness practices, but you know, one of the things you can do for mindfulness and positivity is uh, go do something nice for somebody else. Go compliment somebody. It's yeah. almost, it switches in your, the chemicals. It's Im almost impossible to genuinely say something nice for someone and, and altruistically just do something for somebody in need and feel bad about yourself. Yeah. You, you can't, it's, it's just not, we're not wired that way because we're social creatures, right? We're social animals. And so we're designed our natural reward system in, in the normal state outside of technology in the modern world and all this stuff, Right um outside of you know drugs and all that and, and whatever things that can sort of hijack our reward system it's our reward system is set up to reward us for doing things that are good for our tribe 
And so that's the reason we feel good when we volunteer. We feel good when we do something nice for someone. We say, we, you know, when we are part of a group that accomplishes stuff and supports each other, right? Like those type of relationships are the most meaningful things in our life because evolution from an evolution perspective, we're social creatures. Like that's, that's why we are the dominant force on the planet. It's not because we're the biggest and strongest. It's because we're the best communicators. And so we can organize through leadership uh, groups of people. And so we've evolved in that manner. And the modern individualistic world um, has found ways to hijack that system. And so you have to intentionally remove yourself from that and sort of get back to you know who you are as a human being. Yeah, that's great. And I like what you said about the, the neural pathways, because it's like a snowball, right? Like mm -hmm. if you can mentally map yourself to be a more positive or more negative person. And like I said, positivity, I talk about positivity a lot in my business when I'm trying to mentor these guys who are going to do, maybe they're trying to be, you know, what we did, or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're just guys looking for guidance, but I talk about the positivity concept all the time. I've done both. I've done the negative. Um, I can tell you a far more rewarding being positive to people, being nice to people, being nice to myself, giving to others. I've been happier. I've been healthier. Um, and it's that positive snowball where, you know, you build this snowball of I'm happy. And then you start thinking of positive thoughts where, you know, like if you're say you pop a tire on the side of the road, you know, oh, I'm meant to be here right now. Let's fix this problem. Right. Mm -hmm. It's still a nice day out, you know, whatever, you know, um, always viewing things in a positive light. Whereas, you know, if you build that negative pathway, it's like, even if something good's happening to you, like you pointed out earlier, you're, oh, you know, something about it is bad, right? Oh, this person, yeah. yeah, just that curmudgeon, right? And and that's why the proximity principle is so powerful too, because you, you know, it literally are who you're around. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, if, you, if you're surrounded by a negative you know, environment, you know, abusive, negative victim mentality environment. That's a toxic environment. It's, you know, and people that grow up that way, man, it's hard for them to, to break out of that, but you can. Oh, yeah, and, and, and what you, what you see and what this exactly what you mentioned is just scientific proof that it's mindset, yep. right? Because you're like, take that person, take me, we're in this, we occupy the same space, right? It's still, it's still, you know, 310 central standard time on December 16th, 2021 in the same country, same place I am, but, but some people it's the worst day ever. And no, yeah. I can't get it. And some people it's like, Hey, you know, it's another, it's a great day to be alive. Right. But it really, it, it, it just, it goes to show you that whole, like that snowball you talked about on both sides go to show you that the environment didn't change. So it's not the environment, right? right? We just proved it. <laughs> and so what we proved was that it's all in your head. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the burden um, that, you know, some people don't want to take on, but when you take that burden on and you say, I'm in control of how I feel, right. Like I'm going to let someone else tell me how I'm supposed to feel. I don't fucking think so. Like, oh, I'm not giving anyone that power. And so, uh, but if you surround yourself with, oh, I, you know, you're watching the what was me news all the time and the sky is falling or whatever left, right, whatever. And you're just watching this negative fight bickering all the time. Then the world's falling to you. Yeah. Well, I'm in the next house over and I'm fine. So it's not the world isn't it's in your head. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's what you make of it. And, and it's just that power of mindset. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why after, um, you know, I started doing some consulting for these companies and I started realizing like, Oh, there's some, I need to codify, what is a great mindset? Cause I just kind of assumed that these senior successful people would have it and they did it. Um, and so that forced me to kind of go back to the drawing board and take some of these concepts and create the six keys to greatness, which, you know, I know it's a bold claim, but I try to create a complete framework for life to solve human discontent. And I believe I have, you know, um, I believe that if you follow those six keys, you follow that process and you live that way, you will, it will result in you living a fulfilled, content life of purpose and impact that in my mind, you can only measure that the second before your eyes close for the last time. And you think back about your whole life. And then, because people ask me, well, what we, you know, what about, what is greatness, right? And to me, it's about really achieving transcendence, the sort of oneness with the whole world and a contentment with your place in it. And so I created a whole system for that because all I want is that last second as I'm laying, hopefully peacefully on my deathbed, I can think back to everything I did and, and I can smile and go out yeah. and not have, a, not have my last 
thought be one of regret. That's my worst fear. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, that's um, realities within us. And, you know, that's something going back to, uh, like I said, I won't get down a rabbit hole, but when I had my health issues, right. Um, and I was going to the doctor going to the doctor a lot and we kept running tests, running tests. You know, that's something that started creeping in my head is my time here is limited. How do I really want to spend my time here? You know, um, I'm healthy now, healthy, happy, all those things. Mm -hmm. And I continue to strive to be that way and be positive and, and focus on a reality that is going to be uh, happy for my family and that I can leave behind a reality that I feel comfortable with. So it's, it's so cool to hear you say that. It's so validating to hear somebody else say that and talk about these things. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on, and it's been an awesome conversation. Love what love what you're doing, and um, yeah. If you know if you know if anyone wants you know more info, um, they can find me um, at strongerleaderstrongerprofits.com. You know, I'm sure you'll put show notes and stuff in there of all my stuff. But Sean Patton, you can find me anywhere, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, and then uh, you know my books on Amazon. It's called The Warrior's Mindset: The Six Keys to Greatness. And like I said, I'm just super passionate about all, you know, all the things we just talked about and giving people, um, a, a path, like giving them like a, you know, I told you something like, isn't, I, it's not a, you know, chicken soup for the soul, good story, feel good book. It's like hard hitting and challenging and, uh, and, and it, it, but it, it walks you through and gives you action steps that I believe, um, you know, will make your life better, will lead, will help you find your life's purpose, will tell you how you can execute that on the day-to-day -day basis and plan and accomplish goals and and live the kind of life that, you know, we all deserve to live. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I appreciate you, you know, having me on to come talk about it a bit. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I said, I, I could go on about this for hours and hours. So I would love yeah. to have you back on sometime. And uh, absolutely. I'll absolutely leave those links uh, down below in the descriptions of uh, of this video, and and uh, so you can you guys can find his stuff. Any links I can find to to your book and what you do, I'll leave it down below. And uh, again, thank you for your time. Of course, bro. Thanks for having me. Thanks.